Welcome to the Life of Christ series for term four. We are now up to lesson 31. Now we are at the place um, where we're going to look at the man with the withered hand. It is the Life of Christ chapter 16 and page 9. Now this is a real doozy, this one. <laughs> okay? So I, I don't want to rush through it because there's so much in this um, that if, if this, is what, this is all we get through in the time that we have, so be it. But following this, Jesus picks his 12 disciples, I believe, and, or Jesus heals the multitude and then goes and chooses disciples. I don't know how much of this we're going to cover over the next couple of weeks and you know, where we're going to leave off, but I don't want to rush through this stuff because it just has so much insight and so much revelation. And uh, This is one of those things that I would very easily pick to preach on a Sunday. Having said all of that, let me begin um, again on page 9. All right. <clears throat> Having taught about the right use of the Sabbath from the Scriptures, and therefore the right use of God's holy day, a day on which deeds of mercy are not merely permitted, but required. And also, having made it clear, this is Jesus, that the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath, that was Matthew twelve seven, and that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, that's the next verse, Jesus goes on to demonstrate it all by healing the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. So, okay, all right. We're going to see, I'm over the page, what Jesus did here was both deliberate and aggressive. And why it said in Acts 10.38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now I want you to notice that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. I know it says, and with power, um, but that was a short form of saying, having received the Holy Spirit, the power came with it. Do you, or with Him. Do you understand? Because there are not two things here. There's not the Holy Spirit and there's not power. Because remember Jesus said, I believe it was in Luke something, like towards the end, 2448 or something. When you add that to Acts, I think it's 1.8, you get the whole story. Jesus is basically saying, don't go anywhere until you, yeah. you receive the Holy Spirit because the power is there. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And um, so we can, we can deduce from all of that that that's what this is talking about. And he says here again how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And may I add, regardless of what day of the week it was, for God was with him, okay? So he healed regardless of what day of the week it was. And the thing, you know, I've said at the top there, when I've said we're going to see uh, that what Jesus did here was both deliberate and aggressive, remember in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, I believe, it says, for this reason, the Son of God was manifest that He might destroy the works of the devil. Amen? So, see, there's no right day to do that. Every day is the right day to do that. Amen? And so, that's what we're going to now... This is what we're going to run headlong into. And also, the lessons learned is this. Whenever you are led by the Spirit to do something merciful, do it. It doesn't need to be yes, but... Amen? Okay? You need to be available to do whatever is necessary. But please be led by the Spirit. Uh, because sometimes you can go and do something out of a, you know, a, a good heart, and, and it might be the wrong time, or something is off. You know? um, so always be led by the Spirit, because I've had enough of experiences to know 
that not everybody is welcoming of what you might be offering. Can I say that? Yes. Amen? So, yeah. Alright. So, let's let, getting back to this. In other words, if anything that Jesus said or did was out of, out of God's will, then God would have not been with him. Alright? Or God would not be with him. And therefore, would not confirm his word with signs following. Especially on such a holy day as the Sabbath. So, this is the key thing. If he healed on the Sabbath, God was with him. And we're going to see something. In fact, let's just go to the next verse. Uh, Nicodemus put it best when he said in John 3, 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Notice Acts ten thirty eight. for God was with him. Are you seeing this? Okay. This is a key thing because... God needs to be with you for this stuff to work. <laughs> okay? You can't be fighting God doing His work. Which is what the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious rulers are going to insist that what Jesus is doing is out of God's will. And Jesus is constantly saying, everything that I do is in God's will. And so if you are putting up rules and laws that seem to be contradictory to what I'm doing, you need to ask yourself the question, are your rules right or is what I am doing right? Do you see that? Because if what Jesus was doing was right, then the rules need to change. Somewhere they've messed up. Amen? Okay. There's a lot of ramifications that I'm going to leave it here for the moment. Alright. What we're going to see is that both God and His power was certainly there on this day. Proving that everything Jesus said and did was in perfect harmony with God's will. And conversely, that everything the Pharisees said and did was not. Okay. Now since this incident is recorded in all three synoptic Gospels, this is one of the most difficult things I had to work on. Alright, Matthew, Mark and Luke, those are synoptics, the first three. And And a variety of facts are recorded in each. We will consider all three gospel accounts shuffling between them in order to get the the full story. I would like to begin with a quote by William Hendrickson, who does a brilliant job of combining all three accounts to give us a wonderfully vivid and dramatic overall narrative of what actually took place that day. He writes, Another Sabbath has arrived. I love the way he begins that. (laughs) Jesus has entered the synagogue. Here he teaches. Attending the service is a man with a shriveled or withered hand. It is his right hand. All the references are there. Opponents of Jesus, that is Pharisees, the scribes, are closely watching him. With the purpose of preparing a charge against him. He knows their thoughts and makes them voice what they have on their minds. Is it right to heal on the Sabbath? They ask. Jesus turns to the man, telling him to rise and step forward. Then Jesus asks his adversaries, Is it right on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? Some very basic questions. Alright? Okay. When they remain silent... Jesus looks around at them in anger. We are going to see the first time outside the time he cleansed the temple. Now Jesus is angry. Very interesting. All right. 
being grieved at the hardness of their hearts. He continues, What man of you, if he has a sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not grab hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is right to do good on the Sabbath. Then Jesus says to the man, Stretch out your hand. So complete was the restoration that the right hand was now sound as the other. All right. The opponents were furious. Isn't that sad? I mean, a miracle has taken place. A man has been healed. Something that they don't see every day has happened. And these religious leaders, not everybody, the religious leaders are mad. Let me stop here just for one second. I don't know how many times, you know, I've had the religious members in my family, certain religious members, not all of them, but certain ones, be angry about some television, you know, evangelist or whatever. Not the ones that you guys get mad about, because I'm mad with them too. But, <laughs> but people that are actually doing some good, all right, all right, not living some exorbitant lifestyle. But doing good and making a difference in people's lives. And just that the fact they're on TV, doesn't matter how many people that, that program is reaching throughout the planet. How many people are getting born again through those programs. It doesn't matter that they're on TV, they're mad with them. That is a religious spirit. Do you hear what I'm saying? You know, when, when, when there's... When the only reason you're mad with somebody is because of the media they use to get to people, you need to look at yourself. You need to check up on yourself and see what the problem is. Are you all with me? Now, if you have a legitimate you know, issue with someone because they've got some kind of an exorbitant lifestyle and they're, you know, uh, it, it's going against some of the core things in the gospel, fair enough. I, I get that. I understand that. Okay, But... We need to, you know, if we've got something against someone, we need to really check to see where that's coming from. Because I, know, I want you to notice Jesus got angry with religious people. Okay? If it's okay for him to get angry with religious people, it's okay for him to get angry with religious people, but he needs to be for the right reason. So I've given the card out, but I'm also telling you check. Okay? So the opponents were furious. Having left the synagogue, not only did they discuss among each other what they should do to Jesus, but they also made contact with the Herodians so that a combined plot was hatched. The aim was to kill, to destroy Jesus. Isn't that sad? A miracle takes place, and this is what the response is. It is almost unimaginable that this kind of response could ever come out of that kind of a miracle. Please listen. Because as we start moving towards this, as God is opening doors for us, and the power of God begins to flow, you need to remember this. Because otherwise, you are going to get hurt very deeply when... We as a church minister to people, they get healed, and people do stuff like this. And it's very hard to, not, to lose your temper and get angry with them, 
and have hatred in your heart when somebody attacks something that you know was God. That there was nothing bad about it. It was all good. And how can they even think that? How can they even say that? And you want to utter words like, well, God, you know what? Send them all to hell. I'm just saying, can I be honest with you? Okay, <laughs> let's take all of our halos off for a minute. And let's just talk for a minute. Because that's what's going on here. Okay? These people, following a miracle, hatch a plot to kill the person that brought about the miracle. So, like I said, this is a, this is a very deep story. All three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them recorded because it was so significant. So we are going to be going through it. And like I said, I don't want to rush through it. I don't want to take forever. But, you know, if this... See, there are so many things in the life of Jesus that if we just learned that one thing, it would, it would keep us for the rest of our life. Do you understand? So, you know, I'm, giving, I'm trying to give you everything that he ever said and did. <laughs> okay? Which is a lot of things. So please don't feel ever like, oh my gosh, we should be hurrying through it. Because what will happen is if we rush through this, you guys will have a whole lot of head knowledge, but you won't have any reality in your life. I'd much rather go slow, get a little bit of it done, and we get raptured and I finish this in heaven. <laughs> okay? All right? <laughs> I know some of you are thinking that. Uh, <laughs> I'd much rather do that and do something with what we've learned. All right? Rather than be forgetful hearers. All right? And say we did something and we really don't have a life to show for it. All right? Or a changed life. Okay. Now that we have an overall picture of what happened, let's go back and look at the individual scriptures themselves in a little bit more detail and see what we can learn from them. Beginning with Matthew chapter 12 and verse 9, where it says, Now when he had departed from there, Remember that he was in the uh, grain field. We saw this last time on the Sabbath day. And remember the whole issue with the, the disciples picked grain and okay, the Pharisees jumped out of the bushes. I don't know what they're doing. Following them around and said, oh, that's, that's not right. Because they considered uh, gleaning. Is it called gleaning? Yeah, okay. To be work on the Sabbath. Wow. Anyway. So from there... <laughs> he went into their synagogue. It's really interesting, it says their synagogue. Oh. doesn't just say a synagogue. It says their synagogue. This is similar to Mark 3.1. Now, unlike the other synoptic gospels, Luke's gospel gives us a little more detail when it says in Luke 6.6 6, that he entered the synagogue and taught. So, can we put those two together? He not only entered their synagogue, but he taught. Okay. Now, in other words, Jesus didn't just attend the synagogue to interrupt the proceedings and heal people. We need to get this, okay? Because sometimes we see him kind of like a cowboy. You know, he rides in, you know, into town on his white steed with his you know, white hombre and his six-shooter, jumps down, goes in there, heals a few people, upsets everything and gets on his horse and rides away. Kind of, okay? You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, no, no, no. Okay? This is what he did. He went in. He used to teach. They, he used to be a tremendous teacher. They enjoyed listening to him. He actually made sense. <laughs> okay. All right. So, okay. So <laughs> it says he was very much. So he was very much a part of the service, and in fact, in this instance, actually conducted the service and taught God's word. Are we all there? 
We can now better understand why there was faith for healing present, because remember Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Not a whole bunch of stuff that the Pharisees were teaching. See, that would have been the difference. The Pharisees taught you were confused. Jesus taught, it all made sense and you had faith. (laughs) Okay? Alright, amen. Alright. It is important, therefore, that we understand why Jesus would often preach and teach before he healed. Even he understood that without faith, very little, if anything, ever happens. Now we see evidence of this in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, where it says, because of their unbelief, I want you to notice something here. It didn't say Jesus was having a bad day. Okay? What does it say? Because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles. Not he wouldn't do any miracles, and we'll get when we get to that, we'll look at all this in great detail. It didn't say he wouldn't, but he says he couldn't do it. There are going to be times. As you learn to walk in the power of God, as you learn how to lay hands on the sick and so on and so forth, it will happen, okay? There will be times when, you know, you lay hands and nothing happens. And then you look at your hands and go, what's wrong with your hands? (laughs) Maybe the batteries, check the battery. (laughs) You want to see what's going on here, because the Bible says, you know, these signs will follow those who believe... Read down, it says they shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Don't even have to say anything. Just put your hands on them and something will happen. But you need to believe that when you put your hands on them, not empty hands, but hands that you have faith in, according to the word of God, that you put them on there, these belong to the Lord, it will bring healing to whatever body you are putting it on. Okay, I'll teach you all that stuff later as we go. But that's, you know, you've got to have something on your brain. Don't go in with crickets in your brain. You have to exercise faith. Okay. But I want you to notice he says, it says here again, because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracles among them. All right, these are the people in his own hometown, this is Nazareth, except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Wow. Okay, so there was this gigantic dynamo of power going around, laying hands on people, couldn't do much because their unbelief. Interesting. One of the things, let, let me just say this very quickly sometimes it's better to have no belief than unbelief. Do you know the progression? Unbelief, no belief, really believes. Hmm? It doesn't start with no belief, unbelief. Unbelief is behind no belief. See, remember the guy at the pool of Bethesda? Alright? He, he didn't have any doubt. He just wanted somebody to drag him into the pool, throw him in, he'll be right. You know, because every time he tries, somebody else always gets in there before him. Remember the angel comes and stirs the water, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so he, was, he wanted something to happen. He didn't know he was standing, <laughs> you know, with the person that actually sends the angel. All things are created by him and for him. All those angels work for him. Okay, here's the Messiah. Remember, he's, remember last time we, we talked about there's one greater than the temple? Alright, okay. And that's God of the temple. Okay, that's who's greater. Okay, so <laughs> there he was, God himself standing there. And 
<coughs> he didn't know that that's what he had. Jesus but turns around and says, you know what? Get up. I'm short forming this. Okay? And it's really interesting. Because he didn't have any unbelief, he just had no belief in him. He was like, oh, okay, whatever. You can go from no belief to belief. But it's very hard to go from unbelief to belief. That's the reason why Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three that whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast and say, and shall not doubt. Do you know why? Because that is the no belief. The doubt part. See, it's, if you had no belief whatsoever, at least you can start somewhere and kind of go, oh, okay. But if you're putting it and think, I don't know, you know, I've, I've heard about this stuff, I don't think this stuff works. All of that is no belief. Do you understand the difference? So, let's go back to this, alright? So, Jesus needed to inspire faith before he could do something. Alright? Because otherwise, in a room full of unbelief, remember Jairus and his daughter? He got rid of everybody in the house because there was all, so much unbelief there. He didn't want that. Now, why? Let me give you, a, you guys in Bible college, okay? So I can talk you a little bit deeper than I would in church, alright? There is something that happens when believers are together. They, okay. Remember Peter? Remember when he was walking and the people would be healed? In the vicinity of his shadow? It wasn't his shadow. You all know that, right? Okay, in the vicinity of his shadow. Now, think about this. He was a believer. Okay? That, if you begin to... Can I get you to imagine for a minute? Okay? It would be like a light. Okay? Say you had a light. You were a light. Jesus said you're the light of the world. Okay? And those circles of light go out. You know how that works? Okay? As it goes out, it gets less and less and less. So if you had a lamp, it'd be brightest around the center, and then it would uh, dissipate as it went on. It does it to a actual mathematical function that it does that. All right? Now, if you were to put another light next to it, or close to it, what would happen? You have two lights now, and the places where the light, the circles of light, so to speak, uh, intersect, there is an addition of light there. Are you kind of getting this? If I put a third light, now there'll be three lots of waves running into each other. So more and more. So we've got light here that they've done this on purpose so that the light is diffracted and the waves are in such a way that we're getting an even amount of light going all the way across. Okay? Because they're all adding up in the right way for us to have this light. That's what believers are like. When you have believers, all their faith begins to add up. The circles of faith begin to add up with the ones next to you and the ones around. That's why in some meetings when you go, as the people are believing for something to happen, everybody's faith is being exercised and those lines begin to join up. And then before somebody even gets to the front, they get healed. Okay? Because there's so many lines that have sort of added up where you're standing. You, you got it. You're there, man. Okay? If you had any expectation, you got it right then and there. You didn't have to go up. Are you with me? That's why. I want you guys to have a picture of what happens and why Jesus wanted to take all of those black circles and throw them out. Get it? Because He wanted all the light that was there, all the power of God that was there to add, not to have all of these things take away from it. Especially you're going to raise somebody from the dead. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Do you have a picture now? That's why it is so important 
for believers to get to gather together and why it is important that you're in the midst of that because it makes it very easy for you to believe. Okay? Because somebody else's faith is affecting you as well. Amen? Okay. Okay, back to our lesson. So return in Matthew 12, continuing on to verse 10, which is similar to Mark 3.1. It goes on to say, And behold, so we know now he entered, okay, departed from there, went into the synagogue, and taught. And behold, now we're there. This is Matthew's way of startling his audience by saying, Look! Okay? He goes, Behold! There was a man who had a withered hand. Now, Luke says, whose right hand was withered. This is Luke the doctor, you know. Uh, was it the right hand or the left? Okay? <laughs> Just doesn't care. It's not like any hand. He goes, which one? Okay? Why was it important? Why was it important? How many of you are left-handed here? Hmm? What happens if something happens to your right hand? That's your working hand. That's the one you do everything with. Amen? So you need to understand how important this was. See, if, if, if I was a righty, and my left was a bit out, you know, okay, so, there are a few things I, you know, I'll have trouble with, but most I do everything with my right anyway. Are you all with me? So it wouldn't be a big deal. I could work, I could do things, alright? <laughs> Maybe carry a ball might be a problem, <laughs> okay? Playing basketball or something, but you, you know, I can do a lot of things. But if it was my right hand, that's important. Because this man has no way of making a living. Because his right hand is withered. Are you with me? Okay. You need to know what a big miracle this was. This man is able to go to work. This man is able to carry on a normal life now. Because of what's about to happen. Alright. And instead of everybody seeing the significance of that. And going, wow, God has done an amazing miracle, has restored not just this man's hand, but his livelihood. Mm. He can now go back to being a productive member of society, he can hold his head up high once again. Important? Absolutely. Important. Okay. Okay. The reason for Matthew, I'm over the page. The reason for Matthew's ex, uh, exclaim is so well described by William MacDonald when he writes, Inside the synagogue was a man who had a withered hand. Listen, mute testimony to the powerlessness of the Pharisees to help him. In other words, you know, that was just like a railing accusation against them. You think they were feeling a bit guilty and a bit embarrassed? That that guy has been there for that long. Jesus comes in and is about to do something. Are you with me? It's showing that they just had no power whatsoever. Okay. And, and you know, just let me stop for a minute here <laughs> as well. Remember that people were getting healed in the Old Testament. Remember one guy even came back alive. Remember, um, was it Elisha that lied on the kid, you know, and brought him back to life? There was healing. Remember Naaman? Okay. Dude got healed. And, and remember, Jesus is going to use some of the stories to just make them all mad. Okay? But, so I want you to understand that it wasn't an uncommon thing, and it was, God was healing in the Old Testament. So these Pharisees should have been the epitome of whatever that they had, you know, whatever had happened, they should have been so much further than that, so that there wasn't a hit and miss thing, or not at all in this case. 
But at least something was going on. And if had they done that, when Jesus started to heal, instead of being angry with him, they would have said, Wow, how are you getting it a hundred, you know, a hundred out of hundred? We kind of get kind of five out of a hundred. You know what Jesus would have said? Well done. At least you tried. Let me show you how to get all the other 95 healed. No? <laughs> okay? You know, I reckon he would have involved all the Pharisees and all those guys so that they can go back and when they walk in on the next Saturday, Sabbath day, okay, they can lay hands on them and watch them all recover. How do I know this? Because he sent off his disciples two by two and what did they come back with? Wow, everything that you said happened plus even the devils were listening to us. Are you with me? That was meant to be for the Pharisees. And the Sadducees and the scribes, whoever wanted to walk in the power of God, if they'd been trying, that would have been there. That was the cue. That was, that was what was meant to happen. Hmm? But because the institution had turned demonic, only way I can put it, Jesus said, you are your father, the devil. Okay, All right, Because it had turned demonic, that's why Jesus had to go outside. Pick a bunch of fishermen and go from there, so to speak. Okay, Are you all here? Alright, let's move on. That's why I said there's a lot here. I want you to get this, because we want to do it right. To continue, we need to turn to the parallel account in Luke 6-7. Ooh, it's that time. Uh, let me read this. We'll have a break and come back. I'm sorry, it's already half an hour. It's gone. That went very quick, didn't it? Sorry, or was it just me? Okay. <laughs> let's read Luke 6-7 which has details in it that Matthew's account doesn't give. Remember I told you all three synoptics have this now, so we're going to get a lot of insight into it. It says, So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, watch this, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. Do you know what is so incredible about this? And we'll come back to it in a minute. They had no question about his ability to heal. It wasn't, could he heal? It was, let's see if he decides to heal today or not. They can't even heal a bug. And they're saying, see, can you believe this? And they have gone past the fact that he's actually healing people to the, let's see if it's on the right day or not. How can you judge somebody when you're not even doing it yourself? It's one thing if they were healing all the other six days, and they said to Jesus, Come on, man, we're healing the other six days. Can we not leave it to the other six days? Guy can be sick one day, maybe. You know, Even though the Sabbath was meant to be a day that you do good. In fact, the Sabbath should have been the day that you did the most good. Amen? Let's stop there, take a break, and come back.